Welcome back to Happy Porch Radio. This season, as you know, we're talking about the circular economy and all things digital. In this episode, we meet Ashling Byrne. Ashling co-founded New after traveling to India in 2013, where she experienced firsthand devastating social and environmental impact of the fashion industry. After stepping away from the high street stores, she created an accessible gateway to sustainable fashion, a social network designed to share the clothes in our wardrobes with people in our community. And she has now expanded new across the UK and Ireland. Ashling was also listed as one of Ireland's 30 under 30 in 2018. Emily, that was one of my favorite stories of a startup and how Ashling, I think, really articulated really well the process and the right way to take an idea and her experience of taking an idea and how to solve a problem to reality. Yeah, I loved her story of entrepreneurship. She seems to be approaching it in a really kind of community-driven way, which perhaps comes from the idea that she never really saw herself as an entrepreneur in the first place. (laughs) But I think it works specifically so well with this solution because it is about community. And it's a very local solution to a global problem in a certain sense, which is, is kind of bringing that impact back home to all of us as individual consumers. Absolutely, and Ashling talked very knowledgeably about some of the problems, both at the start of the chain, the linear chain of, this, of fast fashion and then at the end. And some of those, some of the dark, and I think it really is dark and evil in both ends of those scales. And I can't, I don't think that's too strong a term. And it just fills me with anger and frustration. And so it was really, really um, enjoyable then to hear somebody like Ashton who's talking about how she is working to solve that problem. And in the context of the digital sector, I think there's so much, sort of so many hooks in that conversation to think about how we can fit in. So there's the entrepreneurial story that Ashton very clearly articulated and how to get involved in a positive way to solving some of our biggest problems. There's also then the same mindset about being part of, you know, she built a team, there's people who are part of her team or others who are, I guess, servicing and working with people who are solving the problem. So there's so many, so much in her story, so much for us to take away, but it's just amazing. (laughs) Yeah, and as always, I could have talked to her for another hour and a half, I think, (laughs) because there is so much in this, even though it seems like fundamentally a simple solution and something that she herself said she was already doing before she set up new this was this was not a a brand new idea that came to her this is just building on practices that she was already doing with her friends and family and i think that usually or often i suppose those are the best ideas to then build into bigger community-led businesses and then as we say so often in this season the technology becomes just a kind of tool to make that possible in the 21st century. And it's really driven by the people who are involved in it and and their values. Absolutely, yes. And so without any further ado, let's meet Ashley. I'm Ashling Byrne. I'm the founder of New. It's a social network to be able to share and swap your clothes with members of a like-minded community. It's an app and also a real-life community, I guess, when we're outside of lockdowns. And it was born out of our want and also need to really 
move away from the fast fashion industry and the buy, wear and dispose culture. So it's all about giving new life to the pieces that already exist in our wardrobes and making those sustainable solutions accessible and affordable to all. Wonderful. And welcome to Happy Porch Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so there's a number of angles I'm really looking forward to exploring with you. Um, but one is, and I think a fun place to start, is I guess the kind of story about how you've reached this point of trying to solve or contribute to the solution to that problem you've described with fast fashion. What led you up to that point? So I think the first real trigger for me was in 2013, I spent some time in India. It was on a, a program called the Suez Educational Development Program. And I was, I think, about 1920 at the time. And it was the same year of the Rana Plaza building disaster. So this is when a garment factory in Dhaka in Bangladesh had collapsed. And so I guess the center of world news was around what actually goes on behind fashion. And for me, it was the first time that I had really thought about clothes as anything other than on the shop floor and when they were in my wardrobe, even though I loved fashion and was definitely one of those people who would buy things every week, buy things for every event that was coming up and just never really think of the consequences behind it. And the summer when I was in India, was definitely an awakening moment to kind of the people who are behind making our clothes and the real true cost that goes into the fashion industry, both environmentally and socially. And when I came home, I had kind of just, I don't know, just had a bit of a, a crisis of conscience of thinking I've been complicit in this, but also at the same time, I really didn't know what was happening behind the scenes. And it took me about two years to really think about this or really do anything about this. And I, I met a friend in college who had also been, had the same experience. She'd been in Delhi and I was in Kolkata at the time. And we both just got talking and realized that it was something that had really affected us. But I think the frustration really came from this idea that fashion wasn't great and it had huge consequences to it. And we were very much buying into that industry and felt that we could have an impact, but so many sustainable solutions felt outside of our budget or inaccessible to us or fast fashion really was the go-to alternative for so many people around us. And we started thinking of loads of different ideas of, you know, how we could change this or what we could do. And ultimately we realized that we were actually solving this problem amongst our family and friends by just sharing clothes. And with that, we were able to step out of this environment of buying brand new all of the time and still getting that feeling of having something that's new to you, but knowing that you're really making use of the clothes that were already in our wardrobes. And I think what was so liberating about this realization was really, we could do that with what we already had. We didn't need to become other people. We didn't need to buy our way into sustainability and we could access that kind of network and those clothes. And it was really from there that the idea for a wider social network to allow people to do this on a far bigger and more global scale to really take people away from fast fashion and give them an easily accessible alternative came about. And then I think it was quite a while from that point on where this idea and this passion really turned into a business. And I think that was really driven by the fact that if we wanted to build this as a, a real solution, it would be good as a business. We would need the kind of capital to be able to do that. We would need to be able to have control over building it to be able to kind of sustain running something like this. And so I think being an entrepreneur was never something that I had ever thought <laughs> would happen. I studied music in college. I was very much into art. 
And I guess that's where my love of fashion came from as well. But that kind of naturally happened. So my journey as an entrepreneur has been such a learning curve for me. I really didn't know anything, any of the skills that I have now, I really didn't have before I started the business, maybe aside from some leadership and and just pure passion (laughs) and trying to uh, get people on board with an idea. But it definitely came from a place of, of frustration and feeling that there was some injustice and fashion could be better and that the world would be a little more dull if fashion didn't exist. So we really have a very small window to get this right. I love that story. That's it's really I, I like it because it's really personal to you, but also that idea of kind of bringing sustainability from the the things that people are already doing and just recognising that actually this way is better than the kind of the fast fashion way that is seems to be the only alternative and somehow turning that into a bigger picture how can we all do this together collaborative platform in terms of the actual kind of environmental impacts of the fashion industry is that something that you were aware of did you have a lot of background in that and can you tell us a bit more about those impacts specifically Yeah, so Ellen MacArthur, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation has done quite a lot of research on this and also RAP, which is the Waste Recycling Action Plan in the UK. So fashion itself is responsible for more carbon emissions each year than international flights and maritime shipping combined. So it's a really, really massively polluting industry. Wow. Yeah, it is. It is just, and I guess you're kind of looking at the growth of crops to actually make the textiles, the dyeing process, the chemicals used, the water usage and making these pieces and just overproduction in general, just how many pieces of clothing, there's over 100 billion pieces of clothing made each year, or I should say pieces of fashion, sorry, because it would include accessories. And I really didn't know the impact behind it. And I think what's really difficult for so many people is fashion's facade is so beautiful and glamorous and it sells you this lifestyle and it is you know art it's how we express ourselves it's our second skin and it really allows us to kind of speak to society when we don't use our own voice and so it's really hard to think that these beautiful pieces would have such a kind of dark beginning in so many ways and I just think it's very hard for people to get their head around you know it's a really opaque global supply chain purposely so that people really are kind of far and removed but it's just very confusing you know like people see clothes and they think oh how does this affect water or you know why would this be so environmentally polluting and it's really just because you know all products are made from natural resources they just come from the ground and they're eventually made into different things and it's just the fact that fashion is made on such a wide scale and there's so many chemicals that kind of need to go into that process but when you're looking at how you kind of reduce that environmental impact, when RAP did their report in 2013, if you share or swap clothes, you offset a minimum of 25% of the resources that would have been used in the making of a new garment. Now, that would be estimated to closer to 60 or 100% now, just because fast fashion has got so fast. But there hasn't been a full industry report to kind of back this up yet. But it is kind of great to know, I guess, in one sense that we have enough clothes out there in circulation. We just really need to use them. And I think then when people are made aware of the fact that fashion is so polluting, it does take time to change those habits. But I feel that when you do become aware of it, it's kind of harder to look away as well. It's just that fashion has become, you know, it still always wants to keep this glamorous facade. And so it's quite difficult to have very honest conversations about what's going on. 
in in the background yeah yeah that that thing of once you see it you can never unsee it can be quite powerful really and and a strong incentive for people to change behavior I was going to ask you actually about the offsetting of 25% of resources I read it on your website can you tell me a bit more what that means exactly like how that's calculated maybe or or what is it, what's the offsetting meaning in this sense yeah, so we've done our own impact calculator with the London Waste and Recycling Board as part of the Advanced London Programme. And our methodology behind that is a lot around the amount of carbon, textiles and water use that goes into the production of each kilogram of fabric, depending on what kind of material it's made from. So it would be very different for the likes of making something out of silk versus cotton. Silk and cotton, like they would use a lot of water in comparison to kind of polyester, but polyester then again is a form of plastic. And so it's very difficult. It really doesn't biodegrade. I think it's it's a bit difficult because for just, you know, people when they find out about all these materials, because the likes of cotton is a more natural fiber. And so in some ways it's better, but the water use can be a lot higher. So there's pros and cons to so many different fabrics. And then we essentially look at the materials mostly. So, and then people's buying habits as well. So what you're saying is that when someone borrows or swaps a piece, they're actually less likely to buy that piece firsthand. And they're about 25% less likely to buy that can get quicker depending on how much people actually buy fast fashion. So you could have people who might buy every single week. And if they share a swap, they're actually not going to buy it all that week. Or you can have people who would potentially swap and share, potentially also buy, or the option of actually using what's already in their wardrobe, or they could be buying pre-loved. So there's a lot of different factors that come in between that. What we'd really like to build this out to include is also the potential air miles that pieces would have before they actually get to a store. And then when they pass from member to member or how their life kind of continues on and on. And so I think what we're mainly trying to get across, especially when we're talking to our audience, is that the idea is that you can borrow or share or swap instead of buying. So really cutting away those first time purchases. And if you do buy to go to kind of a more sustainable brand when you want to do something like that. Yeah, you mentioned earlier the kind of dark beginnings of a lot of these beautiful pieces of clothing and accessories that we wear. And with regards to the circular economy, it's also interesting to think about the dark endings that a lot of these garments have. I know that a lot of fashion ends up in landfill. And oftentimes, even if you're donating items of clothing, it's not saving its life, as it were, which I see this this platform and this system as kind of really offsetting that as well. Yeah, I can talk about that in kind of two different parts, landfill and donations. I think ultimately the way we operate in our society is that when our products leave our ownership, we feel like we like to think that they've just gone somewhere better. (laughs) But actually everything that we are in possession of could potentially be waste unless we I guess, take some sort of responsible action to try and and change the narrative of that piece's life. So it's so sad. We've run so many swap shops and it's so sad to see pieces that have never been worn and the tags are still on them. And a lot of the origins of that is that it's simply cheaper for brands to mass produce more than they will ever sell than it is for them to just 
make the quantity of pieces that they would actually want to do. Then you have so many people who kind of impulse buy and it happens to all of us, it happens to the best of us. You're kind of very trend driven. You pick up something that you think is going to be nice and then you just, it's, it doesn't suit you. You just never end up wearing it. It kind of sits in your wardrobe for a while and it's kind of ready. You're ready to part with it at some point. Unfortunately, quite a few people still put those pieces in regular bins. They can then sometimes go to textile recycling centers where they're turned into the likes of inside sofa cushions or car seats and, and different things like that. But ultimately, if, if a piece of clothing is leaving your wardrobe and it isn't being worn, it's very likely that it's going to end up in landfill. And, and those clothes do become really, really toxic when they do end up in landfill as well. You also have a case of a lot of brands who just simply burn the overstock if they never get sold and they're kept in their warehouse. So that's just really sad to think that there's been so much work and resources put into making those pieces and then they ultimately are burned or end up in landfill. The other thing is donations. And just to be really clear, people should absolutely donate to charity shops. And charity shops have a brilliant, brilliant mission and purpose in our society and they bring so much good. But it's it's not... I guess fair or okay to donate things to charity shops that are definitely not going to have a new life or are destroyed or are very unlikely to get sold on the shop floor. It's just quite difficult for people to to sort them out, but also those those can go on to have a, a more difficult life. So often you'll get donations that are are kind of put into these large sacks and shipped to developing countries. And these are sold at a knockdown price in big bundles. So a lot of the people who buy these pieces don't actually know what they're going to be able to buy. They're taking a bit of a punt on the fact that some of these clothes will be nice and they'll be able to resell them. Now, what this does is it it really, I guess, impacts the local garment economy. So you could have a lot of local designers and artisans who need to be paid their living wage, who make things in a really great way. And then you have these marketplaces that set up with a lot of these donated clothing coming from a lot of Western countries and being sold at a knockdown price. And so this kind of competes with the local garment industry and it can just really, really ruin those economies. I guess people needing to understand that, you know, these pieces don't always go on and have rosy lives. And, you know, we essentially are putting our waste onto someone else to deal with when we dispose of our clothing in any way. So I think a lot of stopping that is just, purchasing pieces that you really feel you're the best person to own. I think a really lovely way that I heard this described was thinking of the lives of any kind of product and object in the same way as we think about our own lives. So we obviously hope to be, you know, made and born into love and that we kind of have a purpose to our lives, that we fulfill that purpose, that we have a load of wonderful experiences, that we feel fulfilled and we eventually die and go back into the ground. And because so many of our products or all of our products really come from our natural resources, why should they not have the same life? And as owners of those pieces, we are kind of the ones who have the responsibility to make sure that they have those lives and they fulfill so that they're made with love. They're made with the right kind of materials. They go on to fulfill a happy life with you, maybe several other people. They can be upcycled, downcycled, changed change into various different forms of you know if they do actually go into be made made into car seats or or whatever those textiles are used for and eventually can go into the ground and biodegrade and it's just I think important if you're going to buy something that you understand the life that that has and will have and that you know you're the right person to 
give that piece of clothing the life that it deserves and that could be asking yourself the question of will I actually wear this piece 30 times or you know if I wear it for you know whatever event I'm buying it for do I feel like I can give this to someone who I know will give it more of an extended life and I guess that's where new really fits in just trying to ensure that everything that is in our wardrobe has this chance to find someone that's going to love it as much as you did at that time it's a complicated journey but I think at the very end of it really what we have to ask ourselves is like you know why are we making it are we making this properly from a design perspective then as a consumer or a citizen you know why am I buying this and do I love it and then looking at the end of life where is this going to go and how can I make sure that it goes somewhere in the most responsible way possible that's a really positive narrative or story a way to describe it I really like that before that when we were talking about the dark side both of where all these things come from and the actual terrible evil that inside that that is hidden behind the things that we own and then on the other side when things go like that's just a really pain and anger inducing thought process but then what you're describing is there is a much more well the alternative is and, and you've got and I really that was a really nice analogy or story for that just to change tack slightly then and go back to you know we've kind of touched on this on the importance and the motivation and the reasons for what you're doing. And you said you weren't, hadn't intended, it wasn't like you had set out to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when, you're, when you're at that point, okay, you're starting the business and you're actually doing it, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your journey there? Can, you talked about both the in-person community, and I think that's where you started, and then how you then sort of progressed that. And then, and I'd like to talk a little bit about the challenges of, you know, having a digital presence and community with the app and the way things work there as well. Yeah, so we had done the Suez Educational Development Programme and then two years later they started up a small incubator called the Ideas Collective and essentially they had realised that so many people had come through the Suez programmes and had seen a lot of social justice issues that they wanted to change but really had no idea where to begin or start so myself and Ali, who originally co-founded New with me, we went on this program and really had no idea what the solution to the, the fast fashion industry problem was going to be. But this gave us, I guess, the space and time and bit of support to start thinking about it. And so this is when we hit on the idea of kind of sharing and swapping and, and how we would make this a bit bigger. And from that, we had just graduated university. So we were able to go back to Trinity, our, our college, and go on to what they call uh, the Launchbox program. And it's essentially an incubator for student entrepreneurs where you can spend the summer working in, on an idea. And we did this more as bootstrap participants because we had graduated, but we were running swap shops on the side because we really just wanted to foster that kind of community in Dublin where we were based at the time and just see if people you know knew about sustainable fashion or what it was or the impacts of fashion which you know is a lot more mainstream now but a few years ago you know a lot of people didn't really know what was happening in the industry I think when we did Launchbox that's when we started to discover that we should start a business around this and that if we did do this it would give us the ability to really grow our idea to the scale that we wanted to reach and it was there that we got you know tools around pitching how to put together a business plan, how to really test an idea and look at the lean startup model and, you know, what you really need to test first. And you don't need to go straight to building an app if nobody actually wants to, you know, do your idea in, in the smallest form. So 
that was the beginnings of it. But I, I started working in media and, and stayed there for a couple of years and was still thinking of a new on the side and just, you know, fostering this community and telling more people about sustainable fashion. And then I applied for a program in Ireland called the New Frontiers program and it gives you a stipend for six months and a business program runs alongside that. And that was the catalyst for me to be able to leave my job and start setting up new full time. And at, at that time as well, Ali got um, offered a different master's. So she went headed over to the UK and, and I kind of decided that I actually really wanted to see where new could go and, and what we could do with it. And so that's when it really was like, okay, this is going to become a business and we need to test this and we need to trial this. And that support, I guess, woke me up to the fact that there's an idea here, but bring an idea to life is you know, it's totally different to coming up with it and dreaming about what it could be or thinking of all the different things that you could do. There's a lot of graft in it and learning the lean startup methodology at the beginning was was really helpful because first what it showed me, and, and for anyone who's not familiar with this, it's really a case of test as small scale as possible, as manually as possible, the ideas that you have before you start building anything and just understand that there's people who want to use it and how can you prove that they want to use it without really having to build a product or or go the the full way the earliest example of of trialing this was i went back to the university that i'd been in and i went around lecture halls and asked all of the girls if they could email me photos of dresses they had worn to last year's ball and i would put them up on this squarespace landing page and they would fill in a form if they wanted to borrow it. And I'd set up WhatsApp groups with everyone who had requested to borrow each other's pieces. And so that was just done for about three weeks. And we had 350 students who signed up and 60 people borrowed for that event. And within that, we did a collection day where we talk all about the environmental impact of the share that they had done. And I think what was you know kind of surprising to me was people were obviously really excited about wearing the dresses, but were really intrigued that we were talking about environmental impact and you would have a lot of really wonderful conversations with community members and you could kind of watch them chatting about it in the WhatsApp group as well, just that they had learned about their environmental impact and were obviously delighted that they had done something about it. And that was real proof on a very small scale that something like this had legs and could really work. And then it just became, you know, difficult to try and and get funding to really start building this out in, in the way that we wanted to. So ultimately, I ended up moving to London to take part in the Bethnal Green Ventures program where um, they support tech for good and uh, social and environmental businesses. And that was very much the space that we wanted to be in. So impact driven, really looking at both the environmental impact as well as the financial return side by side. And this is really where news started taking off. So we, you know, built test websites and trialed that. And then we raised funding, uh, started building a team and ultimately built the app, which launched in January. And then COVID happened. So I don't know if that's a whole other topic of conversation. <laughs> so anyway, but that, that's, I guess, our, our journey so far. But along the way, I think all the skills that I've learned have been from setting up various different tests. I think I learned very early on that people can give you loads of advice. Some of it is advice that you really don't need to take. But ultimately, where you're going to learn is listening to your members or your users and just trying to test what they say as feedback in the most manual way possible. And from that, you'll pick up skills on like analytics and finance, like fundraising comes into it, you know, business planning, like all of that comes into it. But then just YouTubing videos of like how to use all these different tools or, you know, I think that's like so much of 
becoming an entrepreneur is just like doing as many of the skills that should be for a full team as possible as one person and <laughs> and trying to keep things afloat yeah yeah it's one of the great challenges and and yeah there's a whole <laughs> whole world of, of those other skill sets what i'm really interested in is as somebody who works in digital and technology that it's very often natural knee-jerk reaction for us to say yes we're going to build an app which is so opposite which is exactly what you said of the problem and the real value and the beauty of that that initial trial you did or in, in trinity of literally asking you know do you have a dress send me a photo let's you know on squarespace and then whatsapp lit just putting it together to see what the interest was but the really smart thing that stood out there with what you said is then also you were able to share the impact and see the discussion of that because that... Yeah. And I think one thing that, I mean, we've learned so much from just running swap shops. Like that was the first thing that we realized and this will come into it later, but actually this all came full circle when COVID happened because we started implementing features that we had kind of learned about week two of when we started running swap shops. And those WhatsApp groups when we did the Trinity Ball trial... I learned so much from about what would go wrong because I was in the WhatsApp groups. And I think if there was an app and they were talking to each other, there would be so many barriers that you'd never think of that you wouldn't see if you're not in that conversation. And then you would start to realize, oh, what are the conversations that people want to have? And like, do people forget that they're supposed to meet someone? And do they need a reminder of that? Or do is there something that happens with the fit? How do you stop that from happening? Or is it a case that like people tend to borrow, like we would have things happen where people would actually lend someone a dress, but they'd lend them three or four more just in case to be like, oh, just pick which one do you think? And we were like, oh, this is actually great. <laughs> and then you would often have if someone borrowed from someone, the other person would borrow back because they knew that they were meeting up and just loads of things that I, I do think if we, you know, I feel like if we had more funding or, or money, more money at the beginning, we potentially could have built it wrong because we would have built exactly what we thought people would use rather than what they actually use. And then often the problems that you think are going to be problems at the beginning are just are not the problems. And the things that are actually problems or barriers you never would have thought of. So one thing we've really learned is like, take as little barriers away and as little limitations away from the users. Like just let them do what they naturally tend towards. Like people would say, do you limit the amount that people borrow or limit the amount that people swap? And we just said no, because we wanted to see how people naturally use it. And then we can start, you know, making plans about how we should change the product accordingly but it's great to learn it's great to just you know have a very very loose plan and it allows you to pivot really quickly and then to just authentically stick to what the users feed back to you on because at the beginning and like one thing that I've definitely learned over time is at the beginning as an entrepreneur it's kind of hard to you know disassociate yourself as a person from the business and so when people are giving you loads of feedback it can sometimes just be upsetting because you're like oh I really thought that this is what people wanted or, or why is this going wrong? And then, you know, our mindset, like myself and even as our team is like, it's so great. Like there's so many members who have my personal WhatsApp number who are just giving feedback all the time. And you just think, oh, this is so great because this is a person who cares enough to come and WhatsApp me about all of the different things that they would like to see changed. And we know that they're going to use that. And we know that they're using it regardless of whether these changes are made. And so 
it just helps improve things all the time. And, you know, if you just listen to your members, their feedback, like at times can be really critical, but it's always the best implementations that come after that because you really think, okay, these are the people that we want to keep on board and they care about this product enough and our vision enough to actually feed into this and build this with us. And that's just built this really, really wonderful relationship with everyone who's been involved in new because I guess in some instance it's built by our community so if we really don't have that open debate and discussion we would end up building something that is supposed to be all about community but not actually built by our community yeah it was it was a learning curve for me as an entrepreneur but it's something that I'd always say to even younger founders at the beginning like when you hear that kind of feedback it's it's great it's you should just ask for it all the time (laughs) Yeah, that's that's really smart, but also really difficult, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. You know, allowing the innovation to follow where the path is naturally going anyway. That exactly as you were saying is 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 definitely the right way to go because that's what the users want, that's what the users need, and that's what'll eventually end up being the most sustainable solution, really. But to allow, to kind of (laughs) give the control over to people who aren't running the business from the inside can be really difficult. That's kind of a very, yeah, it's a bold move. It takes a lot of confidence. I think as well, there's a fine balance to strike as well, because there is a lot of listening to what members are saying and trying to pick apart, are their ideas, the, the solutions, like are the solutions they're coming up with? correct or is it just that we're finding a need that was there I think Apple as an example is really good at this they just said okay we're just not going to put CD drives in anymore (laughs) we just think that there's a better solution for this and everyone's like oh so annoying but (laughs) you know we just move with them and they're really innovative but I think ultimately they actually just listen to what the need is coming out so one of the best examples was people kept asking us if we could add a calendar where they could say when things weren't going to be available. But actually, the real problem that had come about was that people felt really bad as a member of a community if they were declining a request to borrow something. So if someone was asking them, oh, can I borrow your dress? And they were actually on holidays. They just didn't want to say no, so they would leave it pending. But then they'd say, oh, can you let me strike it off in the calendar if I know I'm going to be away? But we knew on our end that... um, we had, we trialed this really basically and it was way too much effort for people to kind of admin their wardrobe and, and put in a calendar. And actually all they wanted was like a comment section where they could chat to the requester before the borrow would take place just to say like, hey, I'm on holidays, but I'll be back in a week. Like, could I give it to you then? And like, that was actually the solution to the problem. But if we had gone with what our users were saying, we'd be building in like full calendars, like an admin panel, and then it would feel like a job. And so it just kind of deciphering each time and I think just testing really lean like even if something is coming out and we're trying to say okay we really feel like this problem is going on how can we just ultimately test that in a way that we don't have to build technology and generally that's just like email you know like testing something on email and retesting it on Squarespace before actually looking at bringing into the app so it's uh yeah it is it is a fine balance as well because sometimes you need to as a team say uh we actually can't build that (laughs) or like yeah, I'm not gonna do that yet. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the skill really is lis- is listening and then analyzing and figuring out what the bottom line is with all of that, which you seem to be quite experienced in, which is great. <laughs> You've mentioned a lot about this idea of it's a community 
building up really as much as it's clothes swapping and sharing and it's got an environmental focus the community seems to be a really strong part of it as well can you talk a little bit about that and also maybe kind of other benefits or unforeseen impacts that have happened in terms of the building of this platform yeah I think the real need for a community came from this real feeling of I don't know just mutual frustration at the fashion industry maybe and I think especially when it comes to sustainability and even looking at you know affordability in fashion and this conversation around okay well you know fast fashion really is the only affordable alternative for so many people and we need to be aware that we can't just ask someone to pay for an alternative that they really can't afford and other and outside of that you're kind of asking them to not really partake in fashion there was like that frustration and then there was I guess a realization that okay well if we're going to solve this problem the way we can the only real way we can solve this problem unless we wait years for the fashion industry to change is to just do it communally and it was this understanding that we all have so many clothes and if we want to give those clothes a real life and a really long life it's just better to do this together and then as a community you know especially for a lot of our members and this is what I really found in London it's really hard to meet people who are like-minded as you get kind of out of that school and university sphere it's like you have your kind of people in work but if you move to a new city you really need to be putting yourself out there to try and just connect with like-minded people and when I moved to London, I knew about three people and I did this, basically just put out an Instagram ad about what we were trying to set up with new and asked if I could meet people for coffee. And I met 70 people for coffee. So it was a, a lot of coffee. Wow. And I also forgot that for every person I met, I would not just buy them coffee, but I would also buy myself coffee. So that was like a big budget for me at the time <laughs> when I was like trying to do all this market research. But I just asked them, like, why did you meet me? And we obviously talked about the idea of clothes sharing and sustainability and everything. But so many of the answers were like, I just thought it was really nice to meet someone in London for a coffee where you felt like you could chat about something you were both interested in. And so many of them said, like, if, if that wasn't a part of it, I just never would have written back to the ad. Like, I never write back to ads. It was an ad on Instagram. Like, why on earth did I even connect with it and one of the reasons was just that we made the ad really local and it was basically me just saying like hey I'd really like to connect with other women who like believe that the fashion industry needs to change and then just told them a little bit about more about it when they went to the webpage but those are my really good friends like all my <laughs> friends in London are, are from new and they're all friends with each other and they share all the time and people from that network have started working on the new team. And it's just been really, really amazing. I think so much of what people want is just to find meaning in the things that they put, spend their time or their money in or their kind of, you know, just like emotional resources. And, and what's been just amazing about New is it's just loads of people saying like, I felt this way too. And I'm just so glad that there's other people who feel like this. And I'm so glad that I can connect with them. And then, yeah, we, we, we share clothes and, and the technology facilitates that and underpins that. But above all else, it's people feeling like they have a voice within the fashion industry and they can in some way have um, agency over changing that, which I think doesn't happen in, in fashion a lot and, and people can always feel like they're on the sidelines but when you're a part of new you're really just saying you know even if I don't do my eco queen stuff one day 
there's a whole community of people who are doing that. And like together, we're ultimately going to reach that goal. It's not just all on one individual. And in the course of it, you're just, you're making friends and you're feeling like you are a part of a local community, which I think can just be hard in big cities. And especially when you have a pandemic, like it's been so lovely to just see everyone keep connecting through new and just like having, you know, Zoom coffee mornings and just still discussing fashion and and what we're going to do about it and that's a really nice way to keep motivated when when we all have this common goal yeah that's lovely very nice community feel I appreciate that (laughs) there's so much more there I feel like both Emma and I've got a lot more questions to ask but and we haven't even touched really on the story of this year and I know you've exactly like you've just described kind of using the app and and spreading in terms of the digital reach of the app but maybe just to finish on a couple of quick questions. One is, what is the future? Like, what's what's the long-term vision? I know that at the moment there's crowdfunding going on. I think we're actually going to go live after that's closed. But I'm really interested where what your vision is. So ultimately, we want New to be a global platform that facilitates clothes sharing and clothes swapping and really recirculates all of the items that are trapped in our wardrobes right now. So how we are really looking to build new out, it's available in Ireland and the UK and we're really testing, you know, the mechanics of how people share and how to get it right and what's our business model and how do we connect with people before they become members. But we ultimately want the community to build this global network of sharers. And to do that, we are looking to find people who really believe in our vision and mission and can set new up as a community in any given location and the location that they're in themselves. So we're looking for new to really travel like a social network. So if you live in New York or you live in Amsterdam, that you can become part of the new network and you can upload your pieces and you can get your friends to do that too. And then there is a new community in your city or in your town or in your country. It's us looking at, okay, well, we're a team and we have this vision, but we don't want to have to move to every country to do this. We don't want to have to dictate where this needs to go. We really want the community to be able to lead this. And that's why we very firmly stayed as a community where it's peer to peer and all of our pieces are kept in wardrobes. We don't use a warehouse. They just go from person to person and member to member. And so we're really looking to provide a really accessible alternative to fast fashion where people no longer think of, oh, I'm going to go to a store and buy this brand new, but they can have something that's, you know, new to you and that they'll always look at borrowing first. And that if you're on a night out or you're seeing one of your friend's pieces that you're asking, can I borrow that? Or rather than where did you buy that? <laughs> and so we're really just looking at, at changing the mindset of how we view fashion and how we view fashion in terms of, you know, what what's, new and that's really why we chose the name as well to kind of play with our understanding of of what is new and why are we so obsessed with new things (laughs) so yeah we really see this as you know a global network of sharers and that can operate in the same way all over the world which allows people to take this and and build their new vision you know as a wider community awesome and uh, that's a really clear call to action hopefully some hopefully somebody listening is kind of thinking kind of as, as I am I wonder if you know I'd be sharing that with my family and friends to see if um, yeah. anybody else wants to get involved so if anybody wants to, to listening does want to find out more about that or find out more about your story or the app where should they go www.thenewwardrobe.com and new is spelt n-u 
or you can just Google new, N-U-W, on Google or the App Store or the Google Play Store. So you can download the app on the website or, or just directly from the stores. And kind of the best thing to do really as, as a user when you join the new community is to just go straight in and upload your clothes and kind of encourage anyone who you think might be interested to do the same thing because that's really how we can build the community and, and make it a lot more fun and valuable for everyone who's on there. Awesome. Thank you. And as usual, we'll put the links to new and to the apps on happyportradio.com on the show notes. Thank you so much, Ashling. Really appreciated that. Thanks for sharing your story and your inspiration. Great. Thanks a million. Thank you, Ashling. Thanks so much, Emily. You can find notes and links from this episode, plus a full transcript at happyportradio.com. If you are enjoying the show, please take a moment to give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening to Happy Porch Radio.